Well, welcome to A Different Door. A Different Door is a different kind of worship experience here at Grace Avenue, where every week um, I, Pastor Laura Bird, and Carol Petritus gather together to have um, a conversation in reference to the scriptures um, and to really dive deep into topics and issues um, that are going on in our world. This morning, we are talking about becoming a neighbor and what it really means to be a neighbor. I think a lot of us have an idea of what neighbor is or what neighbor should look like. And oftentimes uh, we think of neighbors as proximity, right? There's somebody who's around us that maybe we live next to, or maybe their cubicle is next to ours, or their office is next to ours. Um, Maybe they are next to us in our classrooms, their desks are really by us. But we think of neighbors as proximity. And yet, when Jesus talks about neighbor, I think Jesus talks about neighbor a little differently. So I guess the way I want to open this up this morning is, what is a neighbor to you? What do you think a neighbor is? I mean, I would say just the way that you sort of described it is the first thing that comes to mind. I think many of us think of our neighbor as the person that physically lives in the home or apartment to our left or to our right. Those are our immediate neighbors, maybe the person across the street. But I do think, obviously, we know that Jesus says, love your neighbor. So for me, that's been broadened out. And I think of everyone in my community and every person that that I meet, that I come in contact with, I believe we're supposed to to love every person. And I think maybe that is what Jesus is alluding to there. Which is challenging, right? Because if that definition is true, then a lot of us are in trouble, right? Because, and I don't want to ask for a show of hands or for you to comment on Facebook, but how many of you actually know your actual physical next door neighbors? The people who live to the left and to the right of you and across the street from you, right? The people who, because we build houses so close together now, we're, we're probably actually 30 steps away from, right? Because the challenge then becomes, if we're supposed to love everybody as our neighbor, then we probably should know them by name and story, And now I am aware, I think, um, just in terms of the way that I was looking at neighbor this week, that maybe the way that we experience neighbor and the way we talk about neighbor is different based off of our socioeconomic status. Laura, will you speak a little bit on that? Yeah. So um, we are in an affluent area in Frisco, um, in a very dominantly white area as well. Um, And so we view and perceive the world in a different way than if we were situated in a different place. Um, We have to always look at our situatedness in the world. Where are we in the world? Who are we in the world? Our race, our uh, socioeconomic status, our gender, those things play into how our neighbors see us, right? So um, often in affluent white um, societies, we are encouraged to be individuals. We are encouraged to, um, to be leaders and do things ourselves, be the Superman, right? Be the superhero, the Lone Ranger. And um, in communities of color, um, mutual aid is much more common. Um, and so if any of y'all haven't heard of mutual aid, Um, I have a definition right here that I looked up (laughs) because I wanted to make sure I said it right. But it's when everyday people come together and help each other with their needs with a shared understanding that maybe the system isn't meeting their needs um, right now. And so um, it's solidarity rather than charity. And there's nothing wrong with charity. um, But 
Jesus really focused more on solidarity rather than charity, which solidarity just means banding together and helping one another mutually. Um, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I, I think of a friend that I have um, that is living in a largely Latinx community. And she was telling me how when she makes tamales, she makes 250 tamales. And that's dinner for her entire community. So I think that that is, is something that maybe I haven't thought of. When I heard her say that, I thought, oh, why doesn't every community do that? Right? Think how yeah. nice that would be to say, I've got dinner tonight. You can do it one night. And to share, like you're talking about, the mutual aid concept. Um, I think that that's really interesting and, and something that you're, like you're saying, it sort of varies depending on which neighborhood you're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think so much of that, again, depends on where we are, right? I think it's, a, uh, it's challenging, right? You watch the old TV shows and people are like, well, I'm just going to pop next door and see if they have a cup of sugar, right? Why would I go see if they have a cup of sugar next door when Amazon can literally have it to my door in two hours or less, right? Um, and that's some of what we were talking about earlier as we were kind of throwing ideas around about neighboring is we do think that we can take care of ourselves because most of the time we can. And yet in these communities where um, neighboring is of an essential importance, that solidarity with one another, it's because so often you have to rely on your neighbors. We don't have to rely on our neighbors, right? I might like my neighbors, and I might go and sit in the yard and talk with them and chat and watch the sunset with my neighbors, but I don't rely on my neighbors. I don't need my neighbors for child care, right? I am blessed in a place where I can pay for child care, right? I don't need my neighbors to, um, you know, help me fill in the gaps of, of driving, you know. I know some folks whose neighbors take them to the hospital and back. I know some other people whose kids live in the area, and their kids come and take them, right? They don't have to rely on their neighbors for those things. And so, in, in a sense... We have to redefine what neighbor is because we're self-reliant, and yet there's this invitation um, that we get from Jesus to not be reliant on self, but to be reliant on Christ. Um, And I think that's what we find in our scripture this morning. Um, We're in Matthew 11, um, 28 to 30, and Jesus says, "'Come to me, all you that are weary and are having heavy burdens, and I will give you rest.'" Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's some powerful things here that we want to dive into today, Um, but as we first read this scripture, um, we uh, leaned into rest. That's why we have several songs about rest today. Um, But Laura, you introduced us to a new kind of ministry that we hadn't heard before that I think ties into one, Jesus' call here. Um, This is a call to discipleship, right? A call to yoke yourself to Christ um, and that that call towards solidarity with other communities who are our neighbors. Will you speak more on that? Yeah. um, So one of the things in the verse says um, that our our burdens are heavy, right? That we are carrying around heavy burdens. And depending on our situatedness in the world, those burdens are different. Um, Maybe we don't have, um, we can pay for childcare, but maybe we're struggling with um, extreme depression and we feel like we have no one to talk to and no way out. So we have these heavy burdens and um, we do live in a world that is 
is capitalism. That is the system we live in. Um, it's not saying it's good or bad. It is just the system we live in. And we work a lot. We work a lot. And I don't know about you, but I find a lot of validation in productivity. Um, I find a lot of inner validation. Um, if I do this much, I am worthy of this much. And so there's this ministry called the Nap Ministry by, um, let me get her name right, Trisha Hersey. And it sounds funny, right? The Nap Ministry. Okay, why are we doing a ministry about naps? But it's really powerful because what she's saying in this ministry and, and her main goal is that rest is resistance. That is, it is our divine right to rest. In the creation story, we have six days of work, six days of creation, and then a seventh day of rest. God was handing us down that pattern from the very beginning. God wants us to rest. And when we rest and we fill ourselves up, we can resist against systems that maybe aren't giving us the best of what we need and rest into Christ rather than into our earthly systems that continuously feed us things that are heavy that we don't necessarily need, but we cling to. So I just love um, that idea that rest is resistance, that it is our divine right to rest. It gives me, like, I can, a sigh of relief. Like, oh, if I can rest, that's that's doing something? Okay, sign me up. <laughs> I think that's um, an Enneagram 3. For those of you yeah. that are familiar with the, the Enneagram, uh, Laura Bird and I are both uh, Enneagram 3s. And I, I do think that there is, and maybe some of you connect with this idea, a certain amount of, of guilt of just saying, you know what, tonight I'm just going to turn on a Netflix show. I'm not going to uh, read a book to further my education. I'm not going to try to do as much laundry as I can, get the dishes done, get everything put away. Uh, there's, there's a guilt, I think, that I sometimes feel when I am resting because, let's face it, there are always going to be things that are productive that we can be doing. Yeah, I'm very different. I'm not really worried about productivity. I hate to rest because I don't want to miss anything fun, mm. okay? Somewhere in the world, something fun is going on. Yeah, and if I'm I'm asleep, I may miss it. But if I'm awake, I may catch it. So um, rest is harder in that regard for me. Um, Maybe some of you can relate to that as well. (laughs) I saw some heads nodding. Um, What I love about this scripture um, and why I think it's so important to neighboring is it's this call to discipleship. But it's a different call to discipleship, right? Just a few chapters earlier, Jesus calls the first disciples, right? Um, Simon and Andrew, right? And in that call, right, you get the, um, hey, follow me and I will make you fishers of people, right? I'm going to show you a different thing, right? You've been living in this system of oppression, the system of struggle where the the Romans are taking more and more from you, the temple authorities are taking more and more from you, but I want to invite you to live in a different way. And then you get this invitation, right, of Jesus to um, all of the people around him. And he's saying, hey, I want you, all of you who are weary, all of you who are heavy laden with the things of the world, everything that you are struggling with, everything that's going on with you, come and I'm going to give you rest. And whereas you have been dealing with the temple authorities that hold the law and they're saying, you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this, right? Um, in the Jewish tradition, the word yoke is one of the ways that they referenced the Torah. It's one of the ways they referenced the law, right? And so Jesus is saying, come here, 
for my yoke is easy, right? My interpretation of this is different, right? And I want you to know that it's different because in it being different, what I'm telling you is, and throughout the scriptures, right, right after this, you get the healing of the man with a withered hand, right? Jesus shows the people over and over and over again that loving and caring for people is more important than upholding the law, right? And so what I think is so powerful in the midst of that, right, is when we take on the yoke of Christ, when we become Christ's disciples, we're called into neighboring. Neighboring is a part of discipleship. And Laura, I love what you said about the rest ministry because it lets us know that we have neighbors that are struggling and they're struggling in different ways, right? And so there are ways in which the people around us are hurting and struggling that we don't know because if we are isolated, right, and this goes all the way back to where we started, when we're isolated and we don't know people by name and story, we also don't know them by struggle. And so I think that's such an important part of discipleship is the neighboring piece. Um, Anybody have any thoughts on that? Well, I wanted you to expand on what do you mean by the law? Could you give us a little background on um, what does it mean when you say that that people are more important than upholding the law, like in Jewish tradition? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, There are 613 laws in the Old Testament right, that you were supposed to follow if you were a good, orthodox, practicing um, Jew. And um, they, there's a moment where they try to catch Jesus, right, in this, right, upholding, because all of the laws are equally important, right? And so they walk up to Jesus and they say, okay, teacher, which of the commandments is the greatest, right? Which of these 613 laws is the greatest? Now, right? The, the answer, right? You and I know as, as readers of scripture is just supposed to be all of them, right? All of them are equally important, equally to be upheld. Jesus doesn't answer that way, right? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second, which is like it, is to love your neighbor as yourself, right? And there's no rebuttal, right? They're like, they're like, oh, right? Like hard to argue with you saying like, love God and love your neighbor, yeah. right? Um, and so when Jesus says love people, right, and this is a message that he does all the time, um, sometimes subtly, sometimes not so subtly, as Christ is prone to do, um, of saying, hey, people are important. And so just in verse 12, um, this is one of my favorite scriptures. So if, if you've heard me talk about this before, um, unfortunately, you will hear me talk about it again. I love the healing of the man with a withered hand mm-hmm. um, because um, Jesus encounters the man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, you were supposed to do no work, which included healing. Um, and yet, in the midst of that, right, um, as Jesus comes in, um, they say, hey, you can't cure on the Sabbath. That's not lawful. And he says, well, suppose one of you has only one sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath. Will you not lay hold of it and lift it out, right? which would be work? How much more valuable is a human being than a sheep? So it is a lawful good thing to do on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and it was restored as sound as the other. Yeah, I think that we forget with our modern eyes that when we look at the Bible and look at this verse specifically, that um, the law for Jewish people was how they knew God. Mm-hmm. It, they saw it differently than we see it. We, we think of um, personal relationship with Christ Um, But they saw, if you follow the law, you know God. And so Jesus came and disrupted all that and said, actually, no, if you love people, you know God. 
And it was a radical act that we often don't see with our modern eyes. And the same thing is true with rest. He's giving us this invitation to rest as this radical act of resistance against the systems that we live in. And I think it's pretty powerful. Yeah, I really think that these tie together when you think of the idea that if you are actually taking time to rest, that you are doing something that you enjoy, maybe that's gardening, maybe that's just playing sidewalk chalk with your kiddos, that's the moment when you have this time that your neighbor is invited in. Maybe they're outside doing their thing and that's when we learn to know each other. And that's the opportunity that we have to sort of cross these two together when we're all not at this breakneck pace. The two meet and we really have the opportunity to love our neighbor in that space. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. Because, right, I'm in the midst of, I've got a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and an eight-month-old, right? And I've already said, like, I don't want to miss out. I also don't want my kids to miss out. Right, so like we're signed up for Taekwondo and soccer and gymnastics and soccer again, right? And like uh, when the children's choir comes back in just a few weeks, and the, like they will be at children's, like we don't want them to miss out on the experiences of a good childhood either. Yeah. And yet, there's an an opportunity that we're being invited to to live a different way. Um, I think that's powerful. Um, and anybody have any closing thoughts? I think that when we do rest, when we do those um, things that don't seem productive per se, we learn to live in the present moment. And in the present moment is where we can find the spirit. And when we are intentionally doing those things of rest to wake us up to the spirit's presence in our lives, we will begin to see the spirit in other people as well. One of the practices that I do, I try to do daily. I'm not always great at it but it has transformed my life, is to see Christ in my neighbor. To, when Christopher and I are talking, to see his divinity, the Christ-like divinity that resides in him, in his spirit, in his soul. When I look at Carol, seeing the divinity within you, the Christ that is within you, because Christ lives in all of us if we've accepted Christ. And so when I start to look at my neighbor as, a, um, as the image of God, it transforms the way I think about that neighbor because the way I'm treating them is the way I'm treating Christ. That's really beautiful. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So I think neighboring, right, is this invitation to discipleship. Neighboring is learning from the people around us so that we can better serve and be connected to them. Um, that includes living into this call, right? Come to me, those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If we never take that invitation to rest, right, then we are in some way rejecting that call to discipleship. But we are also called in that discipleship to yoke ourselves to Christ. And so I think neighbor, if I could really go all the way back to the beginning of this conversation and redefine it, I think neighbor is being an intentional connector. I think it is living with intentionality I think neighbor is when we really live into the calling of Jesus for true discipleship. Because when we become neighbors, we also become people who care, right? We become carers. Is carers a word? I don't think it is. Sure. Um, Caretakers? Caregivers? If it's not, it should be a word, right? (laughs) Um, We become people who 
reach out. We become people who know someone's name and know someone's story. We become people who um, really and truly intentionally address the challenges of the community that we find ourselves in, because every community has challenges. But we also are aware that there are people who are adjacent to our community. And those people who are adjacent, those are our neighbors. Um, And when we are aware of the challenges of our neighbors, then we can begin to address them. And so I think um, becoming a neighbor is becoming a disciple in a new way. It's living into this call that Jesus has given us to really and truly become neighbors. And I invite all of us, those who are here in this space this morning, those of us who are joining us online, and those of us who will hear this message after to take up the challenge of yoking ourselves to Christ and becoming true disciples by becoming true neighbors.